Let's get our Bibles and turn back to the book of Acts chapter 5 and hopefully finish up this uh, study we started this morning. Acts chapter 5, we will once again read verses 1 through 11. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And to keep back part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it, not in thy, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for this much, for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And fear came upon all the, all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. Let's pray again. Lord, thank you for your people. Thank you especially for the gospel. Thank you for saving us and uh, bringing us into fellowship, into a right relationship with you through Christ, through his blood shed on the cross. Lord, thank you for your spirit. Lord, so many times we've been reading as we've been going through Acts, the, uh, we've heard about the Spirit of God and his ministry to us in the stead of Christ, uh, present with us at all times. And Lord, we thank you for that. And as we look at that, even tonight, that we would, I pray that we would give it a, get a good, uh, clear understanding of uh, the ministry of the Spirit of God among us, that we would take this example seriously that we would uh, take these things to heart, that you would teach us, uh, Lord, because we need your help in such a big way. Lord, we pray for our church, that you would help our church, especially in and around this 50th anniversary, to, Lord, that, that we would just set our focus and our eyes and our heart upon you, and, Lord, that you would uh, set our path just exactly what you want it to be for the next 50 years. Lord, please, through this meeting coming up, through the preaching, the special preaching of your word, I pray that you would stir us up. You would stir me up and you would stir all the rest of the church up to do your will with earnestness and with zeal. And we ask these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now as we saw in the book of Acts this morning, uh, chapter 5, we saw how that uh, 
we spent most of our time, well, first of all, talking about what was the primary sin involved here. Of course, lying to the Holy Ghost, and we'll look at that in, in detail a little bit more. But then we also saw how that what Ananias did and what Sapphira did were independent and separate sins, and how that we, we, we examined how Sapphira could have made a better decision and how she was still accountable to God for the decisions that she made in this matter, uh, agreeing together to sin. And we saw how that it's, it is better to serve the Lord together than it is to sin against the Lord together. And, uh, and so what, what we'll do is look at some other things in this passage before we get to the, uh, the very end here, talking about what happened to these two. I want to mention, first of all, as I said this morning, that even though in verse 3 the Bible says, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? And we saw also how that this was a, a high water mark in the church. Uh, and we saw how that there's great and, and just marvel, a marvelous awakening and a move of God in Jerusalem as a result of this church. But even though that's the case, we also saw that Satan was among the church, even in the midst of what was a singular and extraordinary work of God, something that we hope to see repeated once or twice in our lifetime. But we all, well, besides Satan, and, and what's interesting to me, and this is also true as we'll see with, with uh, the Pharisees, is even though the Lord is at work, even though the Spirit of God is at work, even though there's literally thousands upon thousands of people coming to Christ and believing in Christ in this, at this time in the history of the church, we see Satan is present and it is no problem at all for Satan to use the religious works of God, that is, the works of God related to religion. We get this idea that somehow Satan is out there working in the world you know, with rock music and that kind of thing. And that's certainly true to bind people and keep people in, in, in darkness. That's part of it. But you look at your Bible. You look at how many times Satan appears. He is almost always appearing among God's people. He's almost always appearing among people who professedly are people who fear God. That's, that's where he appears. He slides in among them. He slides in among them. And so it's no surprise to us that even though the Lord is at work, Satan is there. He's always trying to get, you know, like a, like a spy, like, like you know, we, we read in the news, these guys with these Muslims with suicide vests, and they try to infiltrate the crowd. I've been hearing a lot about this. Uh, it's the anniversary, August, I think, 26th anniversary of the, uh, the attack at, at the Abbey Gate in Afghanistan. A guy just weaseled his way into the crowd and blew up some 200 Afghans and 13 uh, Marines and Navy corpsmen. And, but, that's, but that's how Satan works. He gets in among God's people. So it's no surprise to us that wherever you find, wherever you find the Lord working, you find Satan working. Satan himself. Satan himself. He wanted to be front and center of what's going on here. And he managed to get into the hearts of uh, some of what I, I think, I think there's good Bible reason to believe that these two people were God's people. They were, I think they were God's people, and he managed to get in their heart. Well, you say, well, I don't believe that. Well, when Peter said, when Jesus talked about the cross to Peter, and Peter said, no, Lord, it's, I'm paraphrasing, it shall not be so. 
No way, you ain't going to the cross. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. One of God's people, one of the, you know, just a few chapters before, he was telling them, you know, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and here he is, the devil's talking through his mouth. And the Lord rebukes him for it. There, just every time, I'm just, just note it in your Bible. The devil is always, not among the secular crowd, not so much, but among the religious crowd. It should be a warning to us. But we also see, even among this, this uh, extraordinary and singular work, work and move of God, we also see hypocrisy and pretense rear their ugly heads. So let's look at what, what is, as I said this morning, what is the chief sin here? And of course, we know the one that is pointed out is the sin of lying, lying to God. Now let's look at that, that sin real quick. It says in verse number four, "Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. So the first sin they made, and again, Ananias and Sapphira thought, no doubt, that they were just lying to, maybe a little white lie, just a slight deception, maybe just not, not giving the whole truth. They thought they were lying to men. That's why Peter says it. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. They thought they were lying to God, but we have to remember this one, this one fact, that when you sin and I sin against our brother or our sister, or against anyone really for that matter, when we sin against them, we are sinning against God. There's no, there's no way to sin against, there's no way to sin against your brother and it, it, it not rise to God's sight. No, it is a violation of, God, of God's law, of God's word. You think of the Ten Commandments, uh, a majority of the Ten Commandments actually deal with our relationship with our neighbor, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Those are all things that, that are God's commands, but that do not deal with our relationship to God per se, but deal with our relationship to our brother or our neighbor. But those things, even though Ananias and Sapphira were lying to their brother, so they thought, they were lying to God. They were lying to God. And what makes it even worse and is an aggravating factor is the fact that they were doing it under color of spirituality. I want to tell you something. That makes it worse. Just like, just like when somebody steals from their parents. You're like, well, they're my parents. That makes it worse. The fact that you would mistreat your own blood, your own kin, is the very reason people excuse what they do. But that is actually what makes it aggravated, what makes it worse than it would otherwise be. And the same is true in the church. When, you, when you're sinning, when we're sinning, people sin and they violate God's law and they as, as, this, as this says here, they lie, they deceive, and whatever, whatever, whatever other kind of sin there might be, when you add religion on top of it, and religion becomes a cloak for it, and a facilitator of it, it's even more wicked. It's, even, it's, it's worse. And there's Bible grounds for that. There's Bible grounds for that. So their sin was, that, and the question I raised this morning was, we, they obviously lied to the Lord and lied to their brothers and sisters, but why did they do that? Why did they do that? And I propose that they, they, they lied, first of all, because they didn't want to give all the money, right? They, they didn't want to give all the money. And you know what? It was perfectly okay if they didn't give all the money. 
as we saw this morning. Perfectly fine. Once they sold the land, it was still theirs. But the moment they brought it, brought it, laid it at the apostles' feet, the moment they said, this is the, the entirety of the sum of the, the sum of the value of the land, the moment they said that, they were responsible for it all before God. So their first issue was covetousness. They, they wanted to keep some of that money, and really they had the opportunity to, but they wanted their cake, and they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to keep their money while also looking spiritual. In other words, they got swept up in the events of true, sincere, genuine believers who were truly sacrificing in this matter to help their brothers and sisters who were poor in the church. They were sacrificing and giving it all, right? Voluntarily again, but they were giving it all and they wanted to appear, and here we come upon the second sin. They wanted, they wanted to keep that money while at the same time appearing as spiritual as everyone else. There was a competition. That's what the Bible calls emulation. You know what that is? It's a work of the flesh, a desire to compete, to match what other people do. And that is not spiritual. That is not spiritual. It is carnal. But that's what, that's what was going on here. So they, covetousness. Number two, hypocrisy. They wanted to appear spiritual. And then lastly, when they're finally confronted, it was falsehood, just flat out lying. But here's the key, here's the key thing I want you to take away from this is... There's so many good things in here. The, the principle of giving to God voluntarily, without coercion, that's here. But there's also the principle of, of God searching the heart. Again, it wasn't enough that they brought an offering. It had to be brought with the right motive. And that was their problem. The problem was not that they brought an offering. The problem is the offering was brought with poor motives, actually with wicked motives. Now, we also see what this shows us as well is that Bible Christianity is really, truly, we can call it a religion. I just use that loosely, but you know what I mean. Is a religion of the heart. It's not, it's not a religion of the form. In other words, it's not about, it's not about you, the, 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 the optics of us bringing, of you bringing an offering and going through the motions and, and, and the appearances of it all. The Lord says in John 4, verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, that's inwardly, and truth, that's sincerely. See, God doesn't accept worship. He says, they that worship him must worship him. That's an imperative. He does not accept any other worship. He doesn't accept worship that is done that is merely a form. Now, we, as I said, I've said this before, but we have a form that we go through. We do the Lord's Supper, there's a form. In baptism, there's a form. Form is often, you know, our order of service is a form. Form is all, fi is all fine and good, but form is not the main event. The main event and what God is looking at is our motives, and that is seen here. You know, what, what modern Baptist people would do is they would, they would take this, uh, Peter would take this money, and he would say, 
God bless you, brother. You have been such a blessing. Your gift is, you're such an honored member of our church. In other words, Peter would feel, in our modern church, Peter would feel obligated to kind of fall over himself to express gratitude for, whoa, God's setting setting a precedent here, though, because God's searching the motive, and, and somehow the Lord conveyed to Peter that this wasn't right, that the motives weren't right. Let me ask you a question. If someone came into our church and infiltrated, like Satan, came into our church and infiltrated and obviously had motives, but they were doing some ostentatious, uh, some act that, you know, maybe flattery or some act of, of benevolence or something upon our church, would we have the courage to say, that's all right, no thank you. No thank you. If the motives were out of order. But see, God is looking at that. God is looking at that. Form means nothing without heart. Now let's talk a little bit about this idea of hypocrisy. Because that is what is happening here. That is one of the major problems that is, that is happening here. Hypocrisy is defined as the assuming of a false appearance of goodness or virtue with dissimulation, that's kind of hiding, of real character or inclinations. It's a pretense. It's a sham. It's a show. That's hypocrisy. Now let's look at a few verses here. Look at Matthew chapter 6, if you would. Because as they were lying to the Holy Ghost, few sins come, come in just packages of one. They come in bulk. Sin almost always comes in bulk, and in this case, is no exception. It's not just lying to the Holy Ghost. It's also, it's also hypocrisy. It's also deception. It's also covetousness. It all comes together. Matthew 6, you also see this in, uh, in fact... One of, what's amazing is that one of the things that what you see popping its head up in Ananias and Sapphira, this is the first time this has happened in the church, as far as we know. This is the first time this has happened, and it is pretty early on, as we saw this morning. First time hypocrisy shows up. The first time this leaven of the Pharisees shows up. The Lord nails it. I mean, he nails it. Peter didn't nail it. Peter just called it out. But God acted. Peter didn't act. Peter just called it out, just listening to the Lord, and God acted. You say, well, that doesn't happen very much now, but he did then. What does that say? Does that, what does that show about his opinion of it? He don't have to, he, God doesn't have to kill everybody that steps out of line in the church just to show his disapproval of it. No, he did it once, and that's quite enough. We can take the lesson and have a little bit of fear like all these people did, we read. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 1. Take heed that you do not your alms before men, notice, to be seen of them. It's funny because alms is helping the poor, right? Alms is helping the poor. And that is exactly, this is what the words of the Lord Jesus, of course, early in his ministry, but this is exactly what's happening in Acts 5. They, Acts 4 and Acts 5, they're helping the poor saints. But, it, but they're doing it to be seen of men. If they weren't doing it to be seen of men and the amount didn't matter, then they wouldn't have said anything, anything about the price. But they announced it. They announced it. They reminded everyone what they were giving. 
to be seen of men. Look at verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound the trumpet before thee as the, notice the word, hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Look at verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites. You see how this word hypocrite keeps on popping up over and over and over? For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in a corner of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men. Notice that. Over and over, you see, what, it, what is the goal? Whether it's alms, whether it's prayer, whether it's fasting, what is the Lord pointing out? They're doing it. The Lord is searching the motives, and they're doing it for a show. They want men to see it. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 5. Look at Matthew 15. Matthew 15, verse number 7. Verse 7 and verse 8 says this, Ye hypocrites, well did Esaias the prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. There's a disconnect between their motives and what men see and hear. There's a disconnect. Look at Matthew 23. The Lord reserved His most pointed and direct sermon. He finishes His sermon. He finishes His sermon. Toward the end of His sermon, He says to the, to the people that He's speaking to here, the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites, He says, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? But look at chapter 23, verse 5. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. Verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There's that word again. For you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. See the outside, the part men see. Verse 27. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Again, the way it appears to be seen of men, used intermingled with the word hypocrite. Let's look at a few more verses on this matter. Look at Job chapter 27. Job chapter 27. Look at verse 8, if you would. Job speaking here says, For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul. Notice that. Though he hath gained. Why do, why do hypocrites do what they do? Why did Ananias and Sapphira do, do, do what they did? They hope to gain. 
maybe honor, maybe notoriety. Maybe they wanted to be seen. They wanted to be honored equal to other people who had been, who had been giving things. And listen, this, this problem still exists. It is everywhere in churches around us. It is everywhere. It is everywhere. And we just need to remember that our goal is not to be like every other church. Our goal is to be a biblical church, right? And that pattern we find established in the book of Acts. And so that means we need to be following that pattern. We need to be looking at the motives and making sure our motives are right. And we're not doing things just to be seen of men, to, to have some temporary gain. That's what this says. The, temp, the, the, the hypocrite, though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul. Look at verse 9 and 10. Will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon God implied? No, he won't. No. It's just words. It's just words. Look at Jeremiah. Turn to the right a little bit. Chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. Verse 10 says, chapter 3, verse 10, And yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly. You know what that means? It means fake. Feignedly, saith the Lord. So it says in that verse that Judah, after having been rebuked by the Lord, appeared to turn to the Lord. She gave the appearance of... Uh, repentance, but it was fake. Because again, God is searching the hearts in the church. That's what we're talking about, right? God is searching the hearts in the church. Look at 1 Timothy, if you would, and then we'll go back to Acts 5. 1 Timothy chapter 1 Just note some of these words as you read. Some, some, sometimes these, as we read through the Bible, we, we just read through these kinds of verses without thinking about what they're saying. But let's pause and just slow down a minute and think about what these, this is saying. Verse 5 of 1 Timothy chapter 1, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. You see that? And of a good conscience. That's also inward. And of faith un. Feigned. That means true faith, not false, not fake. You see, it's, again, what we, how we interact with one another and how we interact before God in our church. Again, we're in Acts 5. That's, that's the church, right? It's all about what we're doing inwardly, whether we're doing what we're doing with sincerity and truth, with genuineness and honesty. Now, I'll go back to Acts 5, if you would. Acts 5, in verse number 5, the Bible says, Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. Verse 10 says, Then she, 
Sapphira, then, she, then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth buried by her husband. You know, I honestly believe that what these people did is commonplace in churches. I honestly believe that it is commonplace. Now, I wasn't really in churches until I was in about 15 or 16. I didn't go to churches, but my wife had the privilege of being in a number of churches. And when she and she would she's told me and informed me about the things that she saw and heard and and, you know, it's no surprise if this kind of hypocrisy, this kind of mixed motives, when people, and, it, you know, as I said this morning, it, always, it seems to always involve money. It always involves, you got the money, you got the devil, you got pride, you got flesh, and you got hypocrisy. And it all seems to jumble up together in this ugly, this, this ugly disgusting, putrid soup. And it all appears at the same time. People giving offerings as power moves in a church so that they can, they can flex when, when they want something done because after all, they're the ones that gave the money. Look, that's wicked. That is wicked. That is ungodly. But that's the kinds of things that are happening in church, in lots of churches, not just a few, but in lots of churches. You know what? God dealt with this harshly. I say harshly. How many of you, when you read this, Acts 5, how many of you intuitively, you say, like, like you know, they say, oh, harsh, man. Like you read it and you think, this was, this was harsh. God killed a man and his wife because they brought an offering with the wrong motive and lied about it. When you look at that, be honest. Be honest. You look at that, you think, that's harsh. That's the way I feel too, Naturally. Obviously, God didn't think it was harsh. <laughs> the Lord didn't think it was harsh. But what this is, is a sin unto death. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. Some of you have heard of this. The Bible says, If a man see his brother sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for, that, for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Now, just to summarize that, there is a sin unto death. What that means is there is a sin that if a believer commits it, God will kill him. Is that not what we see here? They sinned this sin, and God killed them. All right? The Lord says plainly in the Scripture, upon the basis of Scripture, there are things that if you do, God will kill you for it. Okay? You say, well, that makes me uncomfortable. We're just reading the, the Bible here, all right? And then there are, there are other sins that are not sins unto death. Well, I, I like those sins better, right? <laughs> but we shouldn't mistake what, what this is saying in 1 John is we shouldn't mistake that just because God doesn't, doesn't strike us dead doesn't mean he's okay with it either. All unrighteousness is sin. That's what we just, I just read. So as to the question, we see a sin unto death, we, we think, man, that's harsh, but why such a severe punishment was given to Ananias and Sapphira for something that to us is common? To us, we would think, yeah, that's not right, but that's about it. Why did God come down so hard on them? As I said, this is the first example of this particular 
in the scripture of this particular sin in the church. First time. And the Lord, by executing severe judgment upon this sin, He is once and for all making clear His absolute disapproval of such a sin. You know, in other words, if the Lord had let it go, you know, and, and we knew it was happening and those kinds of things, and the Lord did not deal with it the first time it, it, it poked His head up, if the Lord didn't do that, we might give the impression, well, you know, it's, it's a sin, yeah, but it's not something all that bad. So what the Lord did is He dealt with it immediately, and He dealt with it strictly and severely, lest there be any doubt at all. So later on, of course, we see people doing these kinds of things, and I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. This was a church that was absolutely under the care and work of God. God is doing something here. Honestly, I think churches are full of lost people. I think, I think a lot of churches are full of lost people. And I think that's why you don't see things happening like this. One of the reasons. I think people have a form of religion, just like the Bible says, and the Bible describes it very clearly. The Bible says there will be many that have a form of religion. And the church is just, they're, they're full of lost people. They're, they're church members, they're deacons, they're pastors, they're assistant pastors, you know, whatever. They've all been baptized. They, but this kinds of stuff goes on in churches all the time, hypocritical, power moves, trying to be like other people, trying to match their whatever, you know, all those kinds of ungodly covetousness, things that are full of the devil, which is what we see here. And it just goes on and nobody says anything because God's not anywhere near that church. I'll be honest with you. That's what, I think is, that's what I think is happening most of the time. But that's not what's happening here. This is God's church. These are God's people. And God is dealing with it. And you know what? God will deal with things in the church. In fact, we have, God has given us a method to deal with sin in the church, which is church discipline. Now, the standard for church discipline is fairly high. In other words, it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty strict thing. You, you can't just, biblically speaking, you can't just discipline somebody because they, you know, they look at you cockeyed. That's, I mean, it's, it's pretty high. But there does exist a way to put people out of the fellowship when there is a, a gross sin that is, that is committed. But in this case, the Lord shows His disapproval as an example. Every other time this occurs... We see it in church in our day in 2023, and we do not see judgment following. But let there be no doubt. Let there be no doubt that God does not approve of it. And if there be any doubt, all we have to do is turn to Acts chapter 5 and say, God does not approve of this kind of hypocrisy. But how commonplace it is in churches today. Another thing we see here and why I think it's dealt with so strictly is the Lord is dealing with the first example of this sin and the appearance of it because this is the very same thing He constantly dealt with in His earthly ministry among the Pharisees. I just got done reading Matthew 23, all those verses. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. The next word, hypocrites. Everything they did was to be seen of men, just like these. They lied and they cheated and, and they extorted and they robbed widows and all kinds of wicked and ungodly things, all under the color and in the, in the name of their religion, in their name of their faith. Again, the aggravating factor, what makes it worse and more wicked. And yet they were doing it. 
And the Lord came down hard on them, and he condemned them to hell. You hear me? He condemned, you're not supposed to judge. He did. He judged them. Hold your place here and look at Luke chapter 12. I want to just read this one verse kind of representative of this constant issue the Lord had with this particular sin. Verse 1. The Bible says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, now the Lord is speaking to his disciples, those that believe in him, follow him. Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So what you have in Acts 5 is you have that leaven coming into the lump. Remember, biblical Christianity and what I said earlier, biblical Christianity is a, a work of the heart. It's not about the form. The form actually is very Negotiable is very, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, liberty in, in how we do things and the form involved, but the heart is absolutely non-negotiable. It must be right to be accepted by the Lord. That's something we recognize. That's why, because that's what Jesus taught all the time on earth. He put that into the disciples. And here the church, he's gone to heaven. The Holy Spirit has come down in his place. And here the church is starting to worship and that leaven is coming in. You know what the Lord does? He deals with it. He deals with it. Peter doesn't deal with it. God deals with it directly. The leaven of the Pharisees. Here it is in the church. It shows you how deadly it is. I'm saying that, listen, I'm saying that, and I'm, I'm speaking to Choice Hills Baptist Church right now. I honestly don't think there's a lot of that in here. And I'm, I thank the Lord for it. I see a lot of people doing things and it's obvious that you're doing it for God because you don't announce it you do it when nobody's around and you don't seek praise and that's fantastic but again that church was doing well too until Satan came in right Satan came in so we just got to make sure our motives are right and not just about money although that's obviously where it appears a lot but also in every other thing we do in every other way, we serve the Lord. So on the subject of how severe this punishment was, it says in verse 5 and verse 11, notice what it says. Verse 5, the end of the verse, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. Verse 11, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. What, what effect do you think this event had upon the church? I imagine within the church, shockwave just went, right? Just went through the, through the congregation. They dared not, <laughs> right? They saw this one example that the Lord made these people an example, and shockwaves went through that church, and fear struck their heart. And rightly so. In fact, that is actually, right? Does not the Bible teach that church discipline, rebuking someone before all that others may, what's the next word? Fear. See, church discipline is the kind of 
human exercise of this when the, when the body as a whole seeks to deal with sin. And, and we don't, of course, we don't take people out and execute them. Neither did Peter. God did this of his own accord without Peter touching him, right? But it is a way in the similarly in which we deal with sin that comes in the church. But think about how it affected people outside the church because it does say in verse 11, and upon, not, upon, not only upon the church, but and upon as many as heard these things. You imagine somebody's dead. I mean, they are, they're meeting in public in Solomon's porch, Solomon's portico. They're meeting in public on the temple grounds. People are going to hear about the guy and his wife who, cro- who croaked during the church service. They're going to hear about it. Now, this kind of hypocrisy, what's happening here? They are not living up. This, this church, at least these two people, I don't know if there were others, maybe there were others, I have no idea. But these two people were not living up to the standard that the Lord had set for the, for the church, what the Lord Jesus had taught. They were not living up to it, right? They were not living up to it. What a shame. How many Christian churches, how many Christian organizations failed to live up to the standards that everyone knows that they themselves profess to keep, right? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. But, and you know what? The world sees that and the world, the world looks down upon it. I mean, they can be drunkards and drug addicts and fornicators and adulterers and every other ungodly thing. But when, when they see that we are not living up to the standards that we profess to hold, then it, They shame us, and rightly so. They shame us. But in this case, what kind of fear must have gone through the hearts of unbelievers? They saw that maybe the church wasn't living up to the standard because they heard the story and they're like, well, there were people that came in and they lied in their offering. Said they gave so much and they weren't and they faked it. Want to be like the next guy and, you know, John is talking to, you know, I want to say Peter and Paul, but these are all names in the Bible, so I don't want to. <laughs> Give me another name, any name, any name. Sam. Yes. So I said John earlier, of course. I can't think of another name now. My names are full, Bible names. They're talking to each other, and did you hear about what happened to those crazy, crazy Christians? Yeah, yeah, they, one of them died. He was trying to give an offering. So there was shame there, but it wasn't just shame. There must have been fear. But you know what? Because God did that, I bet that those unbelievers took these Christians seriously. They didn't live up to that standard, but they took it seriously because of what God had done, broke in on the scene, exercised his power among them. You know, listen, I'll just say this. You hear these Christian, these Christian organizations where churches, colleges, universities, and the, you, you hear about this abuse. Y'all have heard about this abuse that has gone on and it's been covered up and pushed under the rug. Y'all have heard about that? I'm sure you've heard it. It's on the news and everything. And that's it. We want to preserve the testimony of Christ. So they hide it. They sweep it under the rug. We'll deal with it internally. We, we launched an internal investigation, they'll say. And they're, they're saying, well, we're going we're gonna to deal with the inside because we, we don't want to harm the name of Christ. Here's the reality. Number one, it's going to come out. And when it does, it's going to cause more harm because not only did it occur, but you hit it. So either way, you're going to be shamed, and either way, the name of Christ is going to be harmed. It would be better 
to bust that thing open and let the world know that you aren't in favor of it. And the devil might have gotten into the organization, to the church, but you're not going to stand here and take it. That would be better. That's what's happening here. That's what, in fact, God is doing through Peter. Yeah, stuff went wrong. Yeah, there's shame. There's shameful things happening in the church. Yes, they're not living up to the standard. Yes, but we're not hiding it. What we're gonna, God's going to deal with it, and that dealing with it reverberates out to the unbelievers. They might recognize that these, you know, and, and listen, we're not, trying to, we're not trying to convince the world that we're, we're infallible. We're, we're, we are fallible, and you don't have to be with us but five minutes to figure that out. We're not trying to convince the world and put up a fallible facade for everybody to see. But when something does come up, we ought to deal with it, right? That's what's, that's what's going on here. The Lord dealt with it. And that affected those that heard it. It struck fear. And what kind of reverence do you think that put in the hearts of these unbelievers for Christ? They, could, they, they might not agree or whatever, but they, they had to take it seriously. That's what the Bible says. Now, last thing I want to cover really quick, just a completely different subject, and then we can maybe move on from this, is in verse 4. <clears throat> the Bible says, While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Notice verse 3. Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Then in verse 4 it says, he lied to God. Here's a good example of what, what, what we call the deity of the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit is in verse 3 and verse 4 called God. Okay, why is that important? As you can see here, if the Holy Spirit is called God, not only is he named as God, but he's also then equal with God. That means that he's also equal with the Father, who is God, and the Son, who is also God. And it, it is important, you know, the, the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 4, in Matthew chapter 28, in 1 John chapter 5, you see the Spirit of God and the Son of God and the Father, you see them together, whether it's at the baptism or the, uh, at the, the, the baptism of Christ, or the uh, Great Commission, or in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, you see that they appear together in this formula, the Father, the Son, or the Word, and the Holy Ghost. They appear together. Here's why this is important. If the Holy Spirit is God, then there must be a trinity. And if the Holy Spirit is God, then that means Jesus is also God, because there is a trinity. And Jesus is the second person of that trinity. See, and what you'll find is a lot of cults that do not accept that Jesus is, they'll say things like, well, Jesus is just the Son of God. Well, as we've already seen, that is a statement of his deity, right? That's what the Bible says. But anyway, they'll say, well, Jesus is the Son of God, but he's not God. He's not actually the true God. Those same people who say that also want to deny that the Spirit of God is a person. They want to make him out to be just kind of a, they use the term force or some sort of feeling or some sort of, you know, uh, I don't know what else you might call him. Force is the word they choose to use. In other words, he's not actually a person. But in this case, what, what do we see? 
We see the Holy Ghost in verse 3 is lied to. He is lied to. You can't lie but to a person. You look at this podium here. You can't lie to this podium. You can't lie to the pew. You can't lie to the piano, but you can lie to Sister Karen because she's a person. You can lie to Brother Stewart because he's a person. You can only lie to a person. So the Holy Spirit is absolutely a person. Some people say, well, the Holy Spirit is sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's, it uses the, the neuter pronoun, it, it. Don't let that bother you because the word spirit is neuter in Greek. That's why they do that. It's grammatically correct. But the Holy Spirit is still a person because in every way he feels that. Now, why does that matter? If the Holy Spirit is not a force, he is a person. And the Holy Spirit is God, then that means Jesus is God. And remember, as we've already studied in the past, that's really what people are trying to get at. That's where the devil wants. They want to attack the identity of Christ. And so they try to remove every boundary for that. Now, lastly, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll close here. Second Corinthians chapter 3, just to reiterate this, verse 16. The Bible says this, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man, am I looking, I'm in the wrong chapter, no wonder it doesn't make sense. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, there we go, verse 16. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Notice the, the equating of the Lord with the Spirit. One and the same. Co-equal. So when you go back to Acts 5, we won't go there, but when they were lying to the Holy Ghost, when they were deceiving their brothers, when they were faking it before God without any, uh, without, due, without due recognition that among God's people, God is watching, God is looking. They were actually trying to deceive God because they were just trying to deceive the Spirit of God, who is God. So that adds a whole, has, has, adds an, an entire new layer of severity to this particular sin. I just ask you to do this. Listen, it doesn't matter whether, you, whether you're giving an offering, whether you're serving God in some way, whether you're singing a song or cleaning or decorating or whatever you might be doing, sweeping the front porch. We should all be doing it in spirit, that is, inwardly, and in truth, that is, sincerely. Because among God's people, which is what we are, God is looking. God is examining and trying the hearts and the reins. We should make sure that what God sees is not just to be seen of men, but what God sees is the real deal. Let's pray.